You know, we come here Sunday after Sunday and we sing songs that are so Christocentric. It's about Christ and we want our hearts to sing about Christ and we want to love Christ and we want that to be the, our real heartbeat. But I hope it is something that we carry on throughout the week. It's not just a little affair we have with God on, on the weekends. And that we truly do have a deep, passionate love for Christ. There's a lot of people in this world that don't know who Christ is or just mix Christ in with their other gods. And we want to be emphatically clear and with deep convictions without equivocation or hesitation that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives and not just Lord of our songs. So would you be seated right now as we kind of j- jump into our text and into our study today? Again, we just returned from uh, being in, in, in South Asia and was with a great team as we went over and we all came back. And that's always a good thing uh, when you go and come back with the same number of people. Um, but the very first day on the ground, we, we spent it um, uh, traveling about two to three hours uh, southeast of New Delhi. And we ended up in a little town, or actually a larger town, um, called Accra. And it's where the Taj Mahal is. And we, we gathered there as a team. And I, I like to spend the first day on any of our global adventures just trying to get acclimated to the, to the culture. And what better than going to one of the uh, man-made wonders of the world. And uh, as we went to the Taj, we were able to be there and to see that and experience that and to walk through that. And this mausoleum, this uh, this love story of the 1600s, it's it's kind of a, 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 an amazing story and unto itself. And that was the reason for our going on that two and a half hour track. However, the four to five hours that it took us to get back was because that there was a lot more happening in the streets than there was at the Taj. There was a lot happening at the Taj. There was a lot of people, I don't know, maybe 10,000 people there. For, I don't know. They were just all over the place. But really, what was really happening was out in the streets. And that was when they were celebrating the god of Durga. And uh, this, this, this goddess Durga that they has multiple forms and more, multiple um, manifestations. And, and, but yet, in the streets, they had carts after carts after carts, 15, 20, 30 people following behind it, men with men, women with women, youth with youth, and they would be dancing behind it, throwing colors behind it, and they were taking this this goddess Durga to the river and to, to drop her into the river and to, to make this kind of sacrificial offering to the river, the, the Ganges River or whatever the river they were closest to. And it was kind of a uh, kind of an awe-experiencing moment when you're going to the Taj and it's this Islamic uh, mausoleum, and, but yet you go out into the streets and there's this Hindu goddess being worshipped louder and clearer than, than Islam. And so you're in this culture. And in fact, I just took my little iPhone and just captured a little bit of the, of, of the passing by. And I just want to show you 15 seconds of it. But just notice the crowds and the throngs and the people that were following behind. Again, these, what we would just look at as, as crude, ugly kind of, of, uh, of makeshift ceramic goddesses, but yet they are offering them uh, and praising them and worshiping them and remembering them. And that's their form of worship in Hinduism. And so watch this little clip and maybe you'll get a feel for it. On each one of these little trucks that come by, you'll see, again, throngs of people behind them. And then you'll sign another 
got us there. And this just continues on through the streets. And again, it, it, it made a, a, again, a three hour trip, a two hour trip into a four to five hour trip going back because there was so much of it going on. It was on the front page of the paper the next morning. And it was a big deal. And, and in India, when you have 300, hear this, 330 million gods and goddesses. There's a whole lot of worshiping going on. In fact, we were, we were there in, in, within the next 10 days, they were actually going to be getting ready for the, the goddess Kali. And, uh, and they were getting ready to offer sacrifices to her. And so we actually went by some places and they, where they were creating these, uh, again, almost paper mache, if you will, or concrete, uh, goddesses that they were going to, again, do their sacrifices or their, their, their worship to. It was a, it was an amazing experience to experience that and to see the, the idolatry of that nation. Now, when we talk about that, you think, well, Mike, that's there, this is here, and we don't have those problems or we don't have those issues. And hang with me for just a few moments on that one and uh, push pause because the realization is that gods and goddesses of Hinduism may not be what, what capture us and take over hold of us. And, and really, when you look at Hinduism and all of their gods and goddesses of 330 million. I just tried to think for imagine, imagine for a moment that what if I would take time to worship each one of those gods? If you live in any Hinduism, you worship these gods not out of love, out of trust, out of respect, but you do it out of fear. And so if there's 330 million gods, then I need to worship all of them because just in case I'm wrong, because in the next life, karma is going to come back and bite me if I'm not careful. And so I don't want to miss a god and leave a god out. And so which God are you going to worship? And so I just began to do research on the, the gods and the goddesses of them. And so let's just take, for example, if I were to start at the first major god of Akash, and then I was to work my way alphabetically one at a time, one day at a time, all the way down to the, to the last major god of Yamin. And I was just to take one at a time and I was to pray one day to one god and the next day to another god and the next day to another god. You realize how long that would take me? It would take me 904,109 years to pray through all of the gods. So let's just take it and let's just divide it up into maybe, maybe 85 year lives. It would take me 10,636 lives to be able to pray and to, to appease and to hopefully not anger or offend any one God. And again, you might say, Mike, that's over there. This is here. But the reality is, is when you look in Scripture, when you look in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we've got to realize this, that the number one problem, the number one sin that rears its head in so many different manifestations, maybe 330 million different manifestations, I don't know, when you include our own lifetime in it, is the, is the sin of idolatry. Idolatry may be something foreign to you, maybe not something that you really really put your arms around, but really idolatry is pretty much a supplemental God, a substitutionary God, uh, uh, the God of the universe, the God of all gods, the, the King of all kings, the most high God, Yahweh God, as they called him in the Old Testament, is not enough and you need more gods. And so you supplement or you substitute and you put gods in there. There are over 50 laws in the first five books of the Old Testament, over 50 laws just to keep the people of Israel from committing idolatry. Do you realize what the number one, the very first commandment is of the Ten Commandments? I think we know at least the beginning of it. 
Here's what it says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 30, verses 3 and through 6. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, probably all of us would have recognized that as being uh, a part of it, but listen to the rest of it. You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. So pretty much any expanse that we can occupy space, you should not find, you should not make, you should not uh, worship, you should not bow down to, whether whether it God made it or you made it or somebody else makes it, we should not worship that. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Bow down or serve them. Hang on to that concept. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the Father. Some of y'all may get stuck on that whole jealousy thing. I, the Lord, am a jealous God. Now, whoa, whoa, that jealousy's not good. I teach my kids not to be jealous and all that kind of stuff. Hold on just a second. I think all of us in this room have a legitimate amount of jealousy in certain areas of life. Some of it's okay. Some of it's justified. Some of it's right. For example, you might like my wife and you might look at her and say, hey, you know what? She's got beautiful lips. I think I'm going to go up and kiss her lips. Well, I'm going to kiss your lips with my fist (laughs) because I'm jealous of those lips, all right? And you're not going to touch them. And so you, you get the point that there is a justified, right, kind of good, okay jealousy out there. Well, our God made us, and if he made us, then he has the right to be jealous to make sure that we don't worship anything else out there. Anything that we can make, anything that anybody else can make. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children, the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who keep my commandments. As you look at this, you find idolatry being again throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament and right up to our borders today and not just over in India and South Asia and other parts of the world. We're not talking about idolatry over there. We're talking about idolatry here. Martin Luther said that of all the Ten Commandments, that you cannot break any of the other nine commandments that you don't first break the first commandment. That you will have no other God before me. Think about that for a moment. I will have no other God before me. You'll have no other God before me. There's, there's only one God and, and I'm going to be him. And all the other commandments are built on that. If we get the number one right, the other ones will fall into place. If we get it wrong and we start, listen, worshiping other things, putting other things first, relationships, jobs, careers, ideas, visions, dreams, fears, they become idols in our life. Again, this may not be resonating with you yet, but hang on to this. I'm just trying to ramp up to show you that this is a relevant and real and real-time issue in our day. Kyle Eidemann said it like this, idolatry isn't an issue, it is the issue. All roads lead to the dusty, overlooked concept of false gods. Deal with life on a glossy outer layers and you might never see it. Scratch a little beneath the surface and you will begin to see that it's always there. Under some other coat of paint, there are a hundred million different symptoms, but the issue is always idolatry. 
that idea of worshiping something else. We have the same problem in America. We may not be in India. We are in America, but we have the same problem. We have an American idol out there. We may not have 330 million of them. We may have 330 million different expressions of one idol, and it's called desire. It is the real American idol. Where we live for desires, We're, we, we fight for desires, we dream about desires, we dream about greener pastures. We even have built into the preamble of our constitution that we can and should have all human rights to pursue happiness. We have translated that concept that everyone should pursue and should have the rights to pursue happiness as this idea of happiness is in that. And that I have the right as an American. I will fight for that right. And what is it about our culture and these desires that we have? And I mentioned, some of this is review from last week. I mentioned that there are three major, I guess, idols that are out there in desires that we have to be aware of and conscious of because they will take over. One is money and possessions. We have a love affair with money and things. Beware that it not not become an idol to you. We're going to break each one of these down in the weeks ahead leading up to Thanksgiving. So just be ready as we kind of journey through this idol called desire and how it fleshes itself out in our lives. Another is sex and pleasures. We long for it. we, We search for it online. We can't get enough of it. We're constantly about it. Number three is power and pride. How can I have more power? How can I look out for number one? It's all about the desires that we have. And it all comes from a wounded heart. It all comes from a broken heart. We don't just conjure this up. It's it's deep inside of us. It's just like the people of India building these statues out of fear and respect and hoping that that God won't be mad at them. So we have a wounded, broken heart, a sin-deprived and beaten down heart. Every one of us. We talked about that last week. It really is a heart issue. When you have a heart heart issue, it moves to your emotions. It can make you emotional. It can fray your emotions. It can mess with your emotions. Your emotions begin to become the voice to your heart. And so your heart is really pumping it, not, not, not your organism heart, but it's really believing, it's really uh, emoting, it's really, it's putting out this voice and your emotions are expressing it. And from your emotions then comes this desire for something. It'd be a distorted desire, it'd be a broken desire, but we want something to meet our emotional needs, to fix that broken heart of ours. It trickles down like that. And it's at that point that idols are formed. Beware of the idols. And then the next would be that we begin to map a plan to get to that. And then we begin to take steps to take it and and, and to get there. Here's a life principle for you. Jot it down. Idols form at the junction of our unchecked desires and tempting opportunities. Unchecked desires. I have a desire for money and power. I have a desire for sex and pleasure. I have a desire for possessions. Whatever that desire is, if it goes unchecked, Beware. The only thing you need next is opportunity. And if those two intersect, you could change the trajectory of your life. You could change a whole lot of things. 
you could lose a whole lot of things. Beware of that. There's vulnerability. There's brokenness in our hearts. There's a proclivity towards idols in our hearts. A temptation is an acceptable desire fulfilled in an unacceptable way. We have desires, and not all desires are bad. But again, if they go unchecked and they line up with opportunities that are not right, then we will find ourselves headlong in them. Let me give you some examples real quickly, just real quick uh, examples. One is the idol of vengeance. We, we have this idol of, I, I don't want to forgive. I'm not going to forgive. I'm going to hang this over your head. I'm, I, I'm, I, I can't forgive. I don't know how to forgive. Why? It's because you, you face betrayal. That's the brokenness that you've experienced. And really the desires for power. Because if I forgive, then I have to give up power. If I forgive, then I have to give you freedom again. See how it plays there in our lives? Another one is the idol of affluence or affluenza. If you remember from a few weeks back, we basically you were just discontented. We're never having enough. We never get enough. We never can attain enough. It's just never enough out there. It's money, possession, and power that begins to fuel us. Affluenza, if you were not here a few weeks ago, is a painful, contagious, socially transmitted condition of overload, debt, anxiety, waste, resulting in the dogged pursuit of more. Another idol that is out there that expresses itself is an idol of sexual bounce. And when I say bounce, that's my own little phrase, just trying to figure out what is going on in our culture with our schizophrenic sexual gender identity problems, with our problems that we cannot figure out relationships, so therefore we jump from one relationship to the next. We bounce, we bounce, we bounce. Some people don't do it physically. They do it mentally. They do it emotionally when they go from one screen, one image to another image. You see what I'm saying? There's a bounce going on. And it's just a pursuit of pleasure. And heterosexual is just as wrong uh, as, as homosexual. There's not one greater than the other. If we cannot do it inside the confines of a healthy, vibrant marriage, then we are, at, we are wrong. Also, the idol of security, safety, and comfort. We live for this, don't we, as Americans? We long for more safety. We long for more security. We long for more comfort. And we live that way. And really, it's built out of worry, anxiety, and fears that are in us. Therefore, we're against a power play that plays out in our lives. 60% of Americans live in a debilitating temptation of worry, anxiety, and fear, according to a Barna study that was done a few years ago. It was the number one temptation that most Americans deal with. Worry, fear, and anxiety. And we make it our goal, we make it our ambition to be secure and safe and comfortable. Yet all along, Luke 17, 33 says, whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it. The idol of comfort food, the idol of food, the idol of appearance, this is self-worth, this self-image that comes in. These are just manifestations, again, of des- idols of desire that we have, that we want, that we can't get enough. Beware of them. They can lead to good or they can lead to ill, but we need to be careful that we, as Peter said, are not chasing, pursuing, in pursuit of the sinful desires that wage war against our soul. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. The whole idle, con- the whole idle context and, and verbiage doesn't really resonate with you yet. Take your Bibles and find the, the book of Second Kings. 
I know your pages may be still stuck together in Second Kings because you don't get there very often, but pull them apart. Find chapter 17. We'll be there in just a moment. Let me give you the history behind it. This is 700 years before Christ. This is a long time before Christ. But it's the beginning of an exile period for the nation of Israel that would take an entire generation through exile. And they would, children would be born into exile. People would live and die in exile. This is what they knew. And the Assyrians come in and they take over the the people. And the way the Assyrians do this is this guy named Salamanzer comes in. And he begins to take the people and spread them apart and, and, and take over certain cities. And he takes the brains and the, the money and the wealth and he moves it out. And he moves Babylonians and Assyrians and other people inside. And he kind of mixes the, creates this multicultural. Well, they also bring in their, their gods as well. It creates this big confusion, this muddled mess. And according to Assyrian documentation, there were 27,290 people that they exiled. This is just the beginning of the exile. The Babylonian exile, the Persian exile, that's going to be coming and it's going to get only worse. It's only going to compound. This is just the beginning of it. But if you go look at 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 24, I'm going to butcher some names real quickly here. So I'm going to put that disclaimer in right now. And let's go to verse 24. And it says, And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, that place, Ava, Hamath, the other place, and he placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. Samaria was a part of the nation of Israel. It was just an area. It was a state. It was a region. And he moves them in, and it took possession of Samaria, and he lived in its cities. Now, this is going to be important because 700 years from this time, Jesus is going to be on the scene. And there's going to be this culture out there, and there's going to be these people out there, and they're the Samaritans. They're half-dogs. Because what these Sumerians will do is they're going to intermarry intermarry with the Assyrians and the Babylonians and those other people, and they're going to take on their gods. In 700 years from now, you mark it down in the New Testament. Jesus is having to combat and conflict the hatred and demise of this period of time. So the ripple effect goes on. So as these Assyrians are coming in and they're taking over, they're bringing their false gods with them. And this polytheistic culture happens, begins to happen in the culture. And look at verse uh, 28. Skip down there. <coughs> Excuse me. So one of the priests whom they had carried away to Samaria came and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. So here's the cool thing that happens. They, they bring all these foreign gods in. God slaps their hands, sends lions on them. You can read that in earlier verses. And they say, oh, no, listen, you got a God that can do that? Listen, we're going to bring your God, and you're going to teach us about your God. So that one of the, one of the uh, priests from Samaria that they had displaced, they move him to Bethel. Bethel, by the way, means house of God. Beth means house. El means God. So they bring him to the house of God, and they're going to teach him. They're going to teach the people of Assyria and Babylon how to worship their God. Isn't it beautiful? And that's what exactly he did. He said he taught them how that they should fear the Lord. End of the chapter, I wish. I wish you could just end right there. But it doesn't. It goes on. But every nation still made gods of its own. And this is where it begins to take shape. 
This is where what happens in idolatry is it begins to shape us and we become idolaters. This is the whole time period in Amos and Isaiah and Hosea are prophets in, in the same time period. And so here's what I want us to ask the question as we're looking 700 years before Christ. What difference does it make if I have idols in my life? If there's certain things out there that I can't stop thinking about, certain people out there I can't. Stop thinking about certain vindictive moves. I can't stop thinking about certain things. I want. I can't stop thinking about their desires. They're welling up inside of me. What's what happens whenever desires take on an idolatry nature inside of us? There's three effects and we're going to look at it right here in first Kings or second Kings. The first effect is that we have divided loyalties. Now, all of a sudden, There's multiple loyalties. There's multiple voices. There's multiple gods in your life. And now you start worshiping these multiple gods. Again, we just read where he came and he taught them how to worship God, but what did they keep doing? They kept making their own gods. Skip over to verse 32. And they also feared the Lord. Now, this is the the second time he says they feared the Lord. And appointed from them, uh, from among themselves all sorts of people as priests in high places and, and sacrificed to, the, uh, to them in the shrines in the high places. This is a really religious people. They've learned how to fear God. They've got all their idols. Yes, that's a little bit of confusing and convoluted here. But now look at this next statement. Verse 33. So they feared the Lord the second time in the second verse. But... They served their own gods. Here's the reality. Is you can be here today and you can sing with a band and you can give a little offering when the basket comes by and you can shake the preacher's hand when you walk out of here today and you can fear God and worship God in this room today, but you can be just like the Assyrians and just like the Israelites and you can walk out and serve your own gods. You can be a good person. You can teach our children in Sunday school. You can do a lot of things. But for some of you right now, you're thinking about fantasy football and how your team's going to do this afternoon or the buffet line that you can't wait to get to because there's so many other desires and distractions or your work is so much caving in on you right now that you can't even focus right here, right now. But you're here. Hey, give me a brownie point for that. but I'm serving other gods. They feared the Lord, but they served their own gods. This is what Tim Keller said. He said, the Bible uses three basic metaphors to describe people who relate and how they relate to their idols and their hearts. They love their idols, they trust their idols, and they obey their idols. They love their desires, they trust their desires, and they obey their desires. He goes on to say, idols are captured in our imaginations. We can locate them in our daydreams. What do you daydream about? What is it that consumes your time when your spouse isn't looking or around? If they knew what was going on in your mind, could they determine where your idol is? It's in your daydreams. It's also in your nightmares. 
Some of y'all live with fear, live in fear, can't get rid of the fear. You trust God with it, then you take it back and you live in fear. That's an idol. All 330 million Hindu gods that they worship, they worship out of fear. When we worship our desires, we serve our desires, they're the nightmares, they're the daydreams of our life. And by looking at our most underlying emotions, that's where we'll find our idols. Can you find any idols today in your heart, in your mind? Look deeply. Look deeply at your desires. James chapter 1 verse 8 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let me tell you about the summer of 85 for for myself real quickly. I would say in 1985, it was the first year, it was the first time that I could truly say with all my heart that I really heard from God. I grew up in church. I'd lived the kind of life that most church kids live, mostly hypocritical, mostly a Sunday goer, but this was a different time. There was something. God got a hold of me. God grabbed a hold of me in a big time way, and I knew God was speaking to me. I didn't know what he was saying, but in 1985, I knew that God was saying, Mike, there's something I got for you. It got my attention. It rocked me, got me centered, got focused. I get, I got my life ordered and focused and in line. And it was, I was marching to the beat of a different drum. It wasn't just a church camp high. It wasn't just any of these other things. I was in line and in tune and felt right with God until Labor Day weekend. Labor Day weekend came and I saw her and she saw me. We saw each other. And it happened. It was instantaneous sparks flying, all this kind of stuff. We start off in this relationship. And for the next six months, this once very focused, very very centered, very this is the way God wants me to live. Okay, I'm going to focus on this. Not that relationships are bad, but all of a sudden I had two competing desires. I wanted what God was leading me to, but I also wanted her. And I can tell you this, for the next six months, sex and pleasure was a part of my relationship. And that was not the way it was supposed to be. It's not the way it was supposed to be. I was fearing God on Sunday, but I was serving my own God on Monday and Friday night and Saturday night. I was still tithing. I was still in Sunday school. I was still a leader in my youth group, but I was still serving my own God. You may have an idol problem if the voices of your desires, your dreams, your nightmares and emotions speak louder than the voice of your God. Think about it. Number two, we live with the option to obey God. And I put option in quotations. See, if we live with that concept that we can obey, not obey, obey, not obey, then we don't, (laughs) we're missing it. See, see, God is God, and I'm not. I'm a God follower. I'm not a God leader. Okay? God has the plan. I'm in step with His plan. That's the way it was designed in the order of all creation. But whenever I make myself God, when I make my desires God, now I have an option out there. I can go with him or not go with him. I can go with the God that I want to go with. I can go with the God of my desires and I can rationalize it all out. I can do what I want to do when I want to do it because I have multiple gods. That's not the way we're supposed to live. 
I don't have time to read all these verses, but jot it down. John chapter 5, verse 19. It's not the way Jesus lived. He says the Son of Man can do nothing of himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing for what the Father does, the Son also does. Basically, Jesus said, listen, I don't do things on my own. I don't do things on my own accord. I do things according to the way my Father tells me to do them. I just follow in step. Jesus is doing that. How can I do different? When does it become optional? See, when it becomes optional, that's a, that's a surefire test that you have an idol in your life. John 14 Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he's the one who loves me, not the one who knows my commands and can pass the test and can pass Sunday school and then teach it to the children. No, it's the one who has my commands and obeys them. That's the one who loves me. The one who loves me, I will love, be loved by my Father. My, I too will love them and show myself to them. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching and my Father will love them. Then we will come and make our home with him. See, what was happening in that summer of 85 is all of a sudden I knew I needed to clean out some of these idols of my life. And I got them out and then I was in tune. And all of a sudden another idol came. A young, beautiful idol. A shiny, polished idol. I had to have that idol too. Jot down John chapter 8, verse 47. It's a convicting little verse for you to, to look at. Sometimes we don't hear God. Maybe it's because we don't belong to God. Think about that one for a little while. But when you look at this passage of Scripture back in Second Kings, you find here, that, that in verse 34 and following, he begins to tell them, listen, hey, listen, if you're, a, if you're a follower of God, all the way back to Jacob, he said, listen, the whole thing has been about obeying the Father, obeying God, obeying the one true God all the way through and not fearing all these other peripheral gods out here, these other idols out here. And, and that, so just get down to verse uh, 37. He says, and the statutes and the rules and the laws and the commandments that I wrote for you, you shall always be careful to do them. You shall not fear other gods. You should not forget the covenant that I have made for you. You should not fear other gods. Two different times in that verse. He says, don't fear other gods. What did I say? Where do you find idols? You find them in your nightmares. You find them in your daydreams. You find them in your emotions. That's where you find the idols. But you shall fear the Lord your God and you will deliver you out of the hand of your enemies. Notice their response to this directive from God. However, they would not listen. Why didn't they listen? Because they had other gods. Because they had other gods to listen to. They got to choose between the two, and that's not how God designed it. In fact, they had a but problem. Let me just show it to you. You look at verse 28 and verse 29 and verse 30. He says, and they, he said, they lived in Bethel, and he taught them how they should fear the Lord, but every nation still made God. So they feared the Lord, but they served their own gods. They had a but problem. One T, not two. The but problem was, listen, listen, I, listen, God, I hear what you're saying to me, but I really, but, 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 but I really don't want to do that. I really don't want to give that. I really don't want to go there. See, when we treat God as this kind of shopping cart kind of thing, and I, I can choose this brand over that brand. No, we're missing it. This whole idea of walking with God and following God means he's leading and I'm following. And it's not optional. Number three. The effect of having an idol in your life is you will reproduce idolatry in the next generation. Parents, this should wake you up and cause chill bumps to go down your spine. 
You look back in Exodus chapter 20, we just read it a few moments ago. Whenever he gives us the Ten Commandments, what does he say? He said, listen, if you don't do these commandments, if you don't keep me, number one, if you you create idols and idolatry, he says, I'm going to visit the the iniquity, the sin of the fathers and the children and the third and fourth generation to those who hate me. Because you're not following him, you're hating him, you're you're not walking with him. He's not the primary number one God in your life and you have other little gods out there. Listen, you are going to put something down to the next generation. Your children will see that. We see it lived out right here in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 41. Look at verse 41. So they, so these nations feared the Lord. There it is again. They're worshiping him and also served their carved images. What did the children do? Their children did likewise. And their children's children. See, parents, we can teach our children what we know, but we reproduce who we are. You, you can fake me out all day long, but you cannot fake the next generation out. When there is a mist in parenting in this generation, there will be a fog in the next generation. Joshua was a man who lived in the same period just like us, a period of idolatry. Maybe his wasn't desires and it wasn't. It was over the gods of the Amorites. It was the gods uh, of, of the Egyptians. They, had, they were dealing with idolatry just like you and I deal with it. But I love the way he said it in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. One of my favorite verses in all the Old Testament. He just lays it out there. He says, listen, guys, it's time to get off of sinner. It's time to quit this. Therefore, fear the Lord and serve him. Notice that. He said in the Ten Commandments, you cannot, you cannot serve me and fear me. You've got to serve me and fear me. Excuse me. You cannot do one or the other. It's both and. But what were the people of Assyria doing? They were fearing him, but they were serving their gods. Who are you fearing? Who are you serving? Who is that? He said, you're going to fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods of their fathers who served beyond the rivers in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day. He puts it on them. No playing games any longer. This is not a tomorrow decision. This is not when this relationship fails. I'll get right with this relationship. It's not when this career fails. It's not whenever I pay off this car and get another car. You know, whatever desire you're serving out there. It's time to do it today. Choose this day who you will serve, whether the gods of the fathers who serve in the region of the river or the gods of the Amorites. Choose you today. But as for me (laughs) and my family, there is no hesitation and there is no equivocation. We are going to serve the Lord. And we're going to clear away the trash and we're going to clear away the idols. And my family is going to walk with God. As far as Josh had anything to do with it, his family was going to walk with God. We need men and women. We need teenagers in this room today to rise up and to say, enough idolatry. I want to serve the Lord. That little girl in 1985 that became an idol in my heart dumped me six months later. And I know it's just puppy love, but it was real to the puppy. I can tell you this. I knew she was an idol. See, I... 
I had enough of a relationship with God in that summer before I'd really gotten my life right. And I, and I, knew, she, I knew she was an idol, but I didn't care. I was enjoying all the benefits of that relationship. Sad thing is, is that whenever she walked away, I had nothing. My idol was gone. My little goddess was gone. What was I going to do? I was going to fit it all back together again. Well, I didn't, I didn't set a date or anything like that, but I just said, okay, relationships, they're off. And for the next 15 months, I dated no one, saw no one, liked no one, refused to let that emotion well up inside of me until I could figure this whole thing out for 15. I didn't set 15 month calendar date out there. I just said, I got to figure this thing out. And I started writing out, what is it that I need, want, desire in a woman? And I put it out there. Didn't put it on match.com or anything like that. It wasn't around then. I was back in the Stone Ages. But it was on a piece of paper, and I still have that little piece of paper today. And it was my filter on any girl that I saw that I might want to be in a relationship, that I might desire or allow desire into my heart. 24 years this December 28th, Lori and I will celebrate marriage. 24 years. Not perfect marriage, not blissful marriage. For her, it's been blissful. For me, okay, it's been all right. You know, but 24 years. And we have absolutely deep and growing, and let me say this, guys and gals, passionate love for one another. That has not faded or waned with time. It's improved. It's deeper, it's wider, it's more beautiful than it ever was before. And let me tell you this also, I don't love Lori first. I don't love her first. I learned in that period of time that God has got to be first. And see, I've learned this too over the course of 24 years. When I love God first, and I keep Him first, first and foremost in my life, I find that I have a deeper love, a better love, a more, a more unconditional love, a more grace-filled love, a more sustainable love for Lori because I love God first, because I love Christ first, because I want to walk with Christ deeper and longer. So therefore, I have learned what love really looks and feels like. Any idol in your life, Put it on the altar today. Choose today who you're going to serve. The idol of desire or are you going to serve the Lord? Would you pray with me? Father, it's a a choice. It's a decision that we make right here now. It's not something we're going to put off till tomorrow. We're going to make it today and we're going to play some kind of game and pass it off as if it's not yet time to make that decision. We're just going to go another week and another week and another month and another year serving idols, polishing idols, chasing idols. Or we're going to have a heart for you. You told us to fear and serve you. The people of Assyria were fearing you. They were coming to worship. They were doing the head nod and the bowing and the kissing and the offerings. They were doing all of that stuff that we will do in this room today. But they were serving their own gods. God forbid that we would be idolaters.
serving our desires. May we put a stake in the ground today and decide, 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 commit, commit, commit to following you, Lord, and loving you first and foremost. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?